Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. I, I'm really curious about, um, let's maybe transition into this conversation of technology and, and the future. Again, we've, we've been in this space already a little bit, um, but I'm curious, I love data. Data can give us so much information, help us inf- you know, make really informed decisions, um, as well as technology, again, aiding in certain spaces where, where appropriate. Um, but I'm curious, as we think about the future of education, <clears throat> the future of work, um, where do you see data and technology being the most useful? Again, and maybe you can help us kind of draw those lines of, here's where the people interaction is super helpful, and here is where kind of the data and tech you kick us off, Jesse. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think where my mind goes to first is I think there's going to be a, a progressive push in in hiring uh, that is more competency based, and by that I mean there is a a better, clearer, more objective, more transferable way that I as an individual can communicate to others, here are the things that I've accomplished, here are the skills that I have, here's the knowledge that I have. Um, and so I think that that is, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, this works well when um, other companies, when other, uh, when higher ed participates to say, yeah, people that graduate from such and such program will have done something to demonstrate that they have this ability, this knowledge, this skill set. And so I think again, where technology kind of comes in is we go from a, a paper document that says, I graduated from such and such school with such and such GPA and such and such sort of major. And then now I've got to sort of kind of fumble or peacock my way through an interview to one, demonstrate what, what I got out of that. And, or hopefully they ask questions that are good, but even still there's so much subjectivity that if that interviewer is having a bad day, I'm not gonna be able to, to very clearly communicate the skills and knowledge that I have, that I can demonstrate very cleanly this, I can do the job that's before me. Because right now, the way that that works is again, either you have a really terrible, short, ineffectual interview process or a massively bloated, we have our, we've developed our assessment. So go and do that, that kind of coding assessment, come back to us with this, and then you go and do this. For assessment. every application For you ever do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you do these eight rounds and what that, again, what we can look at that and just kind of, and I have friends on LinkedIn that are recruiters and things like that. And they like to kind of take jabs at that and say, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're hiring or your interview process is so terrible. But why does, it, why does that happen? Why does Google do that? Why do these other organizations full of very smart people do that? Because they are trying so hard to get some sort of objective, consistent measurement of what that person's competencies are. And, and again, hopefully bringing people in that they feel very confident are gonna be able to come in and be successful they just do a really bad job of it 
because when someone comes in with a piece of paper that just simply says, I got such and such degree, that doesn't tell much. And so where I think technology comes in is to be able to have this portfolio of, of badges, of credentials, of, of skills that are certified and, and have been measured in some sort of consistent way that I can take that with me wherever I go. And so I think that if when that starts to happen and I'm going into interviews and people are either seeing a portfolio of my work or seeing these kind of, um, again, skill sets and these competencies that have been certified by some kind of third party, the, the conversation starts to get a lot deeper and say, okay, you know how to do X? Well, here's kind of how we're trying to do X or here's why we need X here at, at Health Catalyst or wherever the case may be. And that, again, I think that's where things get deeper. So again, to answer the question where I think technology comes in, I think it's gonna be that enabling of competency-based hiring and people being able to have this, this almost profile that can go with them wherever they go that, that, sh that, that sh is able to communicate to others, here are the demonstrable skills and knowledge that I have. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thought. Yeah, and which is interesting because I think that there's, you touched on earlier, that becomes kind of half the battle, but the other half of the battle is just who are you as a person? Oh. And, there's, and there's no badges or technology, I think, that we're ever going to answer that question. Sure. So kind of thinking about how do, you, how do you figure that out on both sides of the equation? So if you're the, if you're the new person going in and, and you know, applying for a job, how do I demonstrate who I am outside of the definition of what my skill set is? If I'm an employer, how do I remember to pay? Because I, I can't tell you how many mistakes we made in my 22 years of falling victim to, oh, they can, they can solve our pain because they have this skill set. And even, you know, there is a bit of a coin flip of oh, how accurate is that anyway? That's, <laughs> sure. that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. But even if it's like, hey, that was true, but guess what? As a person, they just don't fit culturally at all with who we are or want to be in as an organization. So we really, we, we wasted everybody's time. We wasted their time and our time. So how do we do that? And I, it's a little bit straying away from your question of how does you know technology and data help, but I, I do think that even once you're in the workplace, it's it's fun to see what the ability to take data. You know, most companies have a ton of data that they're not really analyzing yet, <laughs> in, in a way. And I know this was true for us. We had this we invested heavily in this you know uh, cloud-based uh, CRM system as a sales organization to collect all this data about prospects and customers and what their you know their buying habits and trends and and all of this stuff. And we, we had it for probably five or six years before we stopped and said, well, wait, are we even like, in fact, I remember watching the movie Moneyball, that baseball <laughs> movie and thinking, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we need to be doing because we were, we were falling victim to like thinking about what's our profile of a, of a successful salesperson. And it wasn't really based on any real analytical data. It was more just that, uh, yeah, it feels like they're a good salesperson and and we then, like Jeff. We like whoever. Yes, yeah. yes. But does Jeff get on base? Right? <laughs> exactly. And then, and then even beyond that, you have the whole thing is the sustainable. Like that, that was what, you know, you look at that sustainable performer that doesn't just have a, a good season yeah. or, or a good series, but they can do it over and over and over again. And that's the goal that we wanted on, you know, on our all teams. But the sales team was like that guinea pig of saying, hey, what if we start digging into the data to, to like show what, what is happening within these different, and it was, the data was there. It just took us time to like go in, pull it out, extract it, figure out what is it telling us? How do we, you know, how do we tweak it? It was such a fun exercise for us. So that was an example of us kind of leaning into 
data in a completely different way than we had before. This is so interesting. And I think more and more, regardless of the field that folks enter into, I think being able to become really good at storytelling with data it is essential. But how do we get good at that? How do we get good, you know, regardless again of industry? And I know it, it varies from industry to industry, but I am curious, how do we get good at looking at, analyzing the data and then telling the story, the right inspiring story that matches the vision of the company? I mean, how do we how do we put those pieces together? Yeah, and the first part that we fell victim to was because what our knee-jerk reaction was like, hey, look, at we're seeing the data. It's starting to show this. Let's use that data as a hammer just to beat the heck out of our employees that aren't. It's like, okay, wait, that's not working. <laughs> Surprise, that's not engaging them and, you know, kind of bringing them along. In the Behavior journey. change, yes, right, yeah. right. And there were, you know, I, I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer that we could segment, you know, in our company, kind of three groups of people. It wasn't equal groups, but there's, you know, you have your people that just kind of get it and they outperform and almost regardless of what you do, they're, they're going to. Like it's, you know, you just get lucky and you get that group of people. You get another group of people that really want to do better. They need some guidance. They need some inspiration. They need some help navigating, getting from where they are today to where they want to be and where you want them to be. And really kind of investing. And then that third group, which is hopefully your smallest group, is the people It's like, you could give them all the help in the world and it's never going to, for whatever reason, it just doesn't fit. And so, you know, seeing that not as a, hey, they're a bad person, but just say, hey, we're not the right fit for each other. And I think too many companies waste, and too many individuals both waste too many times under this paranoia of, well, I have a job or I have an employee and they're not the right fit, but I'm scared to actually just acknowledge that. Let them go be a great fit someplace else or, you know, all of that. So using, you know, using that data to your point to really kind of motivate and inspire versus like beating people up with it or, or just jamming it down their throat to be like, you know, see, this is why you're terrible at what you do. Like I with, have the data. Yes, exactly. The data backs me up. So, so there, and, and that require, again, that requires thoughtfulness. It requires something more and i still don't know any technology that can cross that bridge the technology is great at giving the data that we ask for but actually okay now what do we do with it what's the story we want to tell how do we interact with that as we're sitting that that's a completely human interaction thing that there is a huge need for within every organization and every discipline not it's not just a sales issue it runs the gamut of every uh, organization and department within a company Jesse, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think my my first thought is, and I think Brad kind of brought this up, companies have access to so much more data than they, than they utilize, than maybe they're aware of, um, that there are things that, that they do that are getting captured somewhere that they're just not even taking the time to, to say, is there rather than simply kind of straining at the net and trying to figure out, okay, what is the, the right ideal sales profile, recognizing that, hey, by, by this technology investment we've made, there's an affordance there that we have access to data that can help us. Yes. And so I think first and foremost, it's that. It's just raising that awareness and allowing, maybe a starting with leaders at the top, a recognition that you don't have to, lock yourself up in your office and try to strain and figure out these complex things of what makes this person a great program or what makes this person this or what makes our buyers buy this product and not that product and just try to divine that 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 kind of out of nothing that there are data available and almost there's a part of me that says even if you don't necessarily look at that data 
the right way. <laughs> and even if you don't maybe make the most, let's say, uh, statistically rigorous or, or statistically valid kind of conclusions from the data, but you're at least starting and raising this, this awareness that we can be curious and have data that um, can, can, let's say, uh, address those curiosities. That's where it starts. And then the second piece that I would say, and this is a really generic kind of principle, but it comes back from a lot of what we do at, at Health Catalyst, is recognizing that when you're talking about people and you're talking about outcomes, recognizing that outcomes are the product of a complex system. And so you need to not be so myopically focused on one data point, or this is what the performance was this month, or this quarter, or this person did this one thing, but looking at things broadly, looking at that combination of saying, okay, if we want to focus on revenue as a company, are we going to be able to keep the lights on? Okay, that's the outcome we care about, but there are a complex set of processes, people, technology, tools, other data that funnel and all play together that drive that outcome. And so what we should be really focused on is not, oh my gosh, John Doe, that salesperson had a great month. Hooray, the next month he had a bad month. Oh, he's bad. Yeah. It's that consistency. What is our performance looking like over time? And so the point being here that when you look at data, especially in the context of performance, having the discipline to say that we are looking at the outcome of a complex system. And so we have to have the discipline to look at how this stuff is changing and how is it performing over time. And, and I think if you have that kind of generic discipline and not just, we're going to create a dashboard that has a green arrow that, that goes up because that number went up or that's a red arrow that went down. Oh no, that's bad. But having that, that discipline to say, I want to look at this data over time, recognizing that it's representing a complex system. I think if you can do that, then again, even if the, the validity of maybe of all of your conclusions isn't quite exactly where it needs to be, you're starting with a mindset that I think is going to help you to avoid a lot of really common pitfalls. I absolutely love that because there's this idea of just directional goodness. Like it, so we get so wound up in like the perfection. We have to have this perfect, you know, data set. We have to have the, we have to get everything right. Just start with the journey and then be aware to say, look, we have to be humble enough to say, we're likely going to be tweaking this as we learn more. You're as not the, publishing you know, in some academic journal. Exactly. Like, like no one's going to check your yes, P-value, yes. man. Like just, just relax. You do start with something and, and, and then, you know, back to something you said earlier, which I, I share, I love, I love reading books about human behavior, uh, you know, whether it's a company's behavior or individual's behavior. I love because why do we behave the way we behave? What causes us? Because we're so, you know, we all like to believe we're very rational creatures and we're absolutely not. <laughs> and so understanding our own biases and our own, like all of those things come into play. And so being aware to say, even in the scenario of, and I've seen this before, that CEO says, oh yeah, I'm going to go get the data because the data is going to support my you know, my idea, it's like, okay, that's like the worst possible thing you can be doing. You need to have this idea. I want to go get the data because I don't know, maybe I might be right. I might be wrong. I'm somewhere in the middle, very likely. And if the data should drive great conversation. And I love this idea that if the data is only showing red or green and just you're, you know, like there's the quarterly meeting, we saw the reds and we saw that. everybody go back to work. It's like, did we really do anything there? If that didn't drive a discussion, Hey, it used to be green, but now it's red. Is it like, why, what, what, 
what was the, oh, you know what? We, we realized there's this condition or this one on. Ah, there's a learning now that we can kind of plug into our next model that's going to help us get better at this. And this incremental improvement becomes really exciting instead of this idea that, hey, I've got to get it all right, you know, the very first time. So get, you can get into really uncomfortable conversations around, well, what makes this green and what makes that red or makes, what makes that yellow? And who came up with this? Yes. Like yes. what, what random yeah. analyst or, or some like guy that's been at our company for all of three months that yeah. put together this dashboard yeah. came makes up with the logic. logic. Yes. <laughs> and so again, we, we try to, because, oh, I'm a, I'm a leader. And so there's just so many things I've got to be thinking about. I want to simplify my view. So it's just show me this really simplified view. Did it go up? Did it go down? And what we're really saying in that is I'm choosing to be myopic. I'm choosing to, to something that is as complex as how my company or my division is performing, I'm choosing to narrow my view into that down to a, down to a single number or to a, a green, an, icon. A, an arrowed icon yep. or a sad face or whatever. And it's like, wait, you're, you're leading us on the basis of, of an emoji? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. And I, I think, again, leaders have to embrace that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept a bigger view. And maybe that's going to require that I'm going to have to call in some hands and say, okay, this is a, I'm, I've zoomed out a little bit. I'm seeing how we've done over the last year, over the last couple of years. This is maybe a little bit daunting. Can you help me to kind of understand what's going on here? Great. That's a leader that again, is not coming in in, in, in electing and choosing to have a limited uh, view that's going to absolutely warrant a, a much more limited insight into what's going on. And so I think, uh, again, just having that, that recognition and, and, and choosing to look at things a little bit more broadly and holistically, um, again, I think is a great starting point for how you can get value out of data. And, and I really appreciate this discussion around it's a learning process because data is complex, people are complex, and you know, it's interesting. I was even just thinking back, you know, from my personal experience, you know, the past, I would say year or so, I've really been honing more in on, on, you know, even just USU's data around, you know, student success. And I started to realize there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't understand. But to your point, if, if I can even pull the numbers up and say, I'm noticing this thing, I think, I think this is what's happening. Yep. And somebody can come and they can correct you and that and it's okay to get that feedback and say, oh, well, Marissa, you know, those numbers aren't adding up because of X factor yeah. or whatever. Um, but I think that's kind of comforting to hear you say, start where you're at, start with the data that you do have access to, try to make sense of it and get feedback and, and get better at it. And so I think, I think that's a really helpful place. You know, as I think about like a young professional, you know, they probably are trying to benchmark what is good, what is success in my role. And sometimes that's really clear. I would say more often than not, it's not super yeah. clear. <laughs> yeah. And so even, you know, in terms of your own job, benchmarking success, using data to know, am I doing a good job? And, and being able to communicate that to your boss or supervisor, I think is a really helpful starting point. So, so appreciate that. I cannot believe time has flown. Um, we're going to try and sneak in one last question. <laughs> Do it. So um, I would love to just kind of actually end where we started, but really coming back to what is the value of in-person? We've talked a lot about benefits of online, benefits of in-person, but at the end of the day, 
there's something different. And Brad, you know, even comparing this interview to our very first, it was completely on Zoom. We're sitting in the same room. What is different? What creates that that difference, that connection? Really would love to hear thoughts. I'm letting you kick this one off. Oh boy. This is excellent. I don't even know the word. I didn't go to BYU. <laughs> <laughs> I um and maybe again talk about like going back to where this all kind of this conversation started. Um, yeah, my undergraduate degree is, is in sociology. And I think that there's this basic premise in sociology that human beings are social creatures, that we, we impact in one another, we have an influence in one another. Um, that could be positive, that could be negative. Um, and so I think, again, when when technology is used to connect us some great things can happen uh, the fact that i can you know in the midst of a global pandemic i can zoom with my entire family at, at night and we can all wherever we might be or across the country um, talk with one another in real time that's a beautiful thing but on the other hand when that becomes it that that i don't need to spend time with mom or dad because we can just zoom with each other we can just text or they can you know like my facebook post or whatever that that might be and we reduce the 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 influences and the impact we can have with one another to um i think at times more superficialized kinds of interactions um that's not a good thing. And, and so again, what's different about being in person is we, I mean, in a very real sense, we've increased that proximity that we have with one another. I mean, if I can borrow like really channeling back to my like high school physics days, there's, there's this kind of concept of universal gravity and, and, and that universal gravity that exists between celestial bodies is increased by how close they are to one another. And I think in some ways that that universal gravity that we have in our in our relationships and, and how we influence and impact one another is increased by our proximity to one another. And so, again, the fact that we can even bridge some of that through technology is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. But when that becomes it and we, we elect to keep that distance at where that's at and not um, taking advantage of the opportunities where we have to be closer with one another um, and, and to, to, again, increase that proximity, I think we are starting to um, undermine or, or, or depreciate the impact and the, and, and the influence we can have with one another. And that's not a good thing, necessarily. That was beautifully said. I, I, I mean, I, it's, it's great that you use the example because our Two years ago, our interaction, because it's it was the only interaction we could have, was was awesome for what it was. But I, this is so much more engaging to be in the same room with each other. And there's just no there's you know, you're never going to satisfy that with technology completely. Using it from time to time in the right circumstances is phenomenal. And like you, I'm so grateful, you know, for that. But you know, and it's with. The interesting thing is, is the technology in this regard has been around for a long time. The telephone, we all like before any of this hit, we all knew the difference between catching up with a friend on the phone versus going to lunch with the friend. Hmm. And, and, and 
all of us knew it, yeah. uh, both are good experiences, but there's just nothing that compares with being right there with that person and having that interaction. So, you know, technology, fantastic. It's never going to completely replace, nor should it, this ability to be with each other. And there's something just so unbelievably magical, whether you believe that's based on the physics of yeah. who we are, which yeah. is great, yeah. whether you believe that, hey, there's might be a, a spiritual reason for this, it kind of doesn't matter. It all leads to the idea that you really can't push back, that there nothing will ever replace the idea of actually the intimacy of being in the same room and working with another individual or being with another individual. Yep. Man, well, what a great way to end the conversation. I, oh, as I'm sitting here, so many thoughts swirling around in my head, but um, I, I don't know if I, I've probably said this before on the podcast, but I, I really feel like this is a, a sacred space. If I, if I could use the word, um, I, I so appreciate the depth that we've gone into today. I've so appreciated your unique perspectives. <laughs> um, there have been multiple times through this conversation where I've sat here and thought they're challenging my thoughts and my, my perception. And, and it's so good. And I so appreciate both of you bringing those insights um, today um and uh and again just thank you so much for your time and and for being here you're welcome thank you for the invite and it's so fun to see the success that you're having with this uh, I, I love it so thank you yeah congratulations we hope you loved this episode of the usu career studio podcast if you haven't already make sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends and family 